I think that money doesn't like make you who you are because you can be poor and not have any money and still love God with all your heart and you can be rich and still love God with all your heart and it doesn't make you any different in God's eyes because Jesus he didn't get a job he wasn't out like making bank he was out just like helping everyone and doing what he could to help everyone we should live life like him we should give to others without expecting anything in return we should be uh, graceful and merciful to others even if they owe us something growing up like my dad always told me like um, in like poor situations like um, it may feel like that for right now but know that like you're always rich through God's eyes so it's pretty much it Guess what we're talking about today? Money. Now, we are going to talk about money, and I know that you're delighted. I know you're encouraged already. I know that you're completely at peace. Your hearts are still before the Lord. Because we all know that when Pastor starts talking about money, it's going to be awesome. Oh, that's ridiculous. I already know how you feel. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, whether you've been at Desert Springs for 40 plus years or this is your first Sunday, I already know how you feel. The muscles in your back are starting to tense. You're beginning to perspire underneath your armpits. You're beginning to turn to the person that you came with today saying, I told you we should have skipped. <laughs> oh, I know. I know how this goes. Don't think I don't know, because I've been in your shoes dozens of times before this very moment. And I know when we talk about money, we are so uncomfortable. But I want to lean into this for a few reasons. Number one, money's power over us. Money's power over us is seen in our discomfort and unwillingness to talk about it openly. And I don't want to give money that kind of power over me. What about you? Amen. Two, one of the reasons that this happens is because in our cultural moment, money is one of the easiest surrogates as a source of our dignity and value. It is easy for us to look at our bank account and see in those numbers my worth. We even say it to each other. What is your net worth? Oh. What's your worth? What's your value? And our money can become a surrogate as a source of value for us. As a church family, we want to have healthy relationships with all aspects of our lives, with one another. We want to have healthy relationships with power. We want to have a healthy relationship with sex. We want to have healthy relationship with money. And here's the jam. All healthy relationships involve open and honest conversations. Now, some of y'all are saying, but we don't talk about money in polite company. And you might be right. But we ain't polite company. We're a Jesus-centered church, and we know that that means that Jesus, if we're still living, Jesus is still working on us, and we also know this, that all spiritual growth involves some degree of discomfort. And so if you want to grow 
in the likeness of God, if you want to grow spiritually, you got to embrace the discomfort. Welcome to church, y'all. Here's the other thing. When we talk about money, when we have conversations privately or openly about money, we're not actually talking about money. We're talking about who we are. We're talking about our values. When we have conversations about money, we're not talking about money. We're talking about our heart. Oh, Jesus uh, is so fascinating to me. He consistently tethers the heart, the inner aspect of our being. He consistently tethers it to money. He says things like, where your treasure is, where your money is, there your heart will be. You want to know where your heart is? Look at where your money is. When we have conversations about money, we're talking about our hearts. This is probably why it's so scary. I don't mean to cause you to fear, but I I would just ask you this question. Who would you show your bank account to? Your bank statements. You know that you would be revealing not just how much money is in the bank, But if someone else looked at all the transactions, they would not just see how you spent your money, they would see your values. It's interesting as a culture, isn't it? I mean, we're crazy. We talk so openly about sex. I mean, I hear from people all the time, oh, they talk about sex, they talk about sexual positions, they talk about sexual partners, and then when it's time to come to talk about money, they say, that's private. We're posting pictures of ourselves in our underwear on the internet, but the idea that we would have an open conversation about money is ridiculous to us. So we need to have a different perspective. We need to have a right perspective on money in order for it not to have power over us. And so that's my question for you this morning. How has Jesus shaped your perspective of money? How does Jesus shape your perspective of money. Now, there's the normal perspective that we have in our culture. And the normal perspective, the one that by and large, especially in in this particular area, in this particular cultural moment, the, the by and large, the way that we understand our relationship to money is predominantly as a what? I am a consumer. If you listen to, um, if you read or watch Marketplace reports or you, you listen as I do to uh, Marketplace on NPR with the beautiful Kai Rizdahl and his sultry voice, love that voice, one of the things that you'll hear, whether you listen, watch, or read, is that you will be referred to as the American consumer. You're identified predominantly by what you spend on goods and services. You're the American what? Consumer. The normal perspective when we think about our relationship to money is that I earn the money and I am a consumer. And this, of course, you're being, listen, you're being told a thousand times a day from a thousand different sources that you are a consumer. All the advertisements, all the sales pitches, all the billboards, all the conversations that marketers are having with you, you're being treated as a consumer. And it's so easy to fall into the temptation to say, okay, well, yeah, that's who I am. When I think about my money, I think about I earned it and and I'm a consumer. I'm going to spend this money on goods and services that I will consume. And this is perhaps best encapsulated by what I would consider to be the greatest British theologian of our time, Pink Floyd. Pink Floyd says this, money, get away. 
Get a good job with good pay and you're okay. By the way, this is what we're telling our kids. What's your goal in life, Junior? Get a good job with good pay and you're what? Not live righteously, self-sacrificially and pursue after Jesus even if he calls you to a casket. I mean, for those of us that are followers of Jesus, how easy is it for us to say this to our kids? This is what it means to live. Get a good job with good pay and you're? You're okay because you're a consumer, baby. Money, it's a gas. Grab that cash with both hands. Cash is an ancient form of currency that was printed on paper. Um, People would have it. They would take checks to the bank. A check, by the way, is another piece of paper that you would write and go to the bank. They would exchange other pieces of paper. It was a very dirty business. What I mean is the germs. I mean, you know how many hands would be touching? Okay, so anyways, so grab that cash with both hands and make a new car, caviar, four-star, daydream, think I'll buy me, a, and of course this is Britain, so this means soccer, football team. This is the, this is the American consumer. What's your goal in life? Get a good job with good pay, and you're okay. Money, it's a ton of fun. Grab the cash with both hands. Make me a nice stash. I'm going to buy me a new car, caviar, four-star, everything I daydream about. Maybe I'll buy a football team. And that's the goal I have in life as a consumer. But what's the Jesus perspective? The Jesus perspective is I am a, and this might be an old-school word for some of us, but I, I like the word, I am a steward. I'm a steward. When I think about my relationship to money or my possessions, I recognize that I am a steward. So we're going to talk a little bit about what it means to have a Jesus perspective on our money, for those of us that follow after Jesus, to live as stewards, to live as stewards. Now, um, a steward is someone who manages and deploys someone else's resources according to the values and desires of the owner. A steward is someone who manages or cares for and deploys, puts into activity someone else's resources. Do you see? Whose resources is it? Someone else's resources. And how do they manage it and steward it? How do they execute it? How do they deploy it? According to the values and desires of whom? The owner, a good steward, manages or cares for and deploys, executes, puts into activity the resources of someone else according to the desires and values of the owner. You with me? Okay. So uh, I worked a side job the other day and they paid me in cash. And in fact, I got old Ulysses S. Grant right here as part of that deal. I love Ulysses. Not as much as Benjamin. (laughs) Ulysses and I have a fleeting relationship. He comes into my life, he goes out of my life. So I worked my job, I got my pay, and I grabbed it with both hands, and I made a stash. Now as a consumer, my relationship to Ulysses here is predominantly one of me as a consumer. I earned Ulysses, didn't I? I mean, I worked hard for Ulysses. My money. And you know what I'm going to do with this money? 
is I'm gonna spend it on some good or service, or I'm gonna invest it so I can later spend it on goods and services for me as a consumer. At least that's what I'm being told to do by a thousand people in a thousand different ways every day. But if I have the idea, if I have the perspective that my relationship to old Ulysses here is that of a steward, then one of the first things I recognize is this. Did I earn the money? This is a trick question. Did I earn the money? I didn't steal it, just a heads up. I have stolen money before, but not lately. <laughs> not from the church, most of the time it's fine. <laughs> if I am a steward and I earned the money, there's something deeper to that conversation, and that's this. What skills, gifts, talents, and resources did I deploy to earn this money? Were they skills, gifts, talents, and resources that I gave myself? Or was it something about how I'm created? How about the time that I currently live in? Because I wouldn't have been able to earn this much money if I was born in 7th century Tibet. How about the social network that I was born into? The relationships that my family have that allotted me the type of education that I had? How about the fact that I was scholarshiped to go to, a, to get a postgraduate degree and was able to get the kind of education that would allow me to earn this type of money? All of those things were not things that I did. They were things that were gifted to me by whom? Yeah, right, good answer. You see, at the end of the day, is it, is it money that I earned? Well, yeah, I mean, I worked hard for it. But I deployed and executed thousands of other resources that were gifted to me. So at the end of the day, is it my money? Yes, but my relationship with it is not that of a consumer, but as that of what? A steward. What's your relationship with Ulysses like these days? Now, uh, could anyone use this? Who, who would like it? Anybody want it? Anybody? Uh, Jorge, why don't you come on up here? Yeah, you raised your hand. Ladies and gentlemen, Jorge, local leader in Young Life. Yeah, it was mostly a joke for his wife, but, you know, that's what happens when we joke with the pastor. If you would stand on the left side of this television, I'm not going to do anything weird. Jorge is regional director for Young Life. Amazing ministry, love Young Life. Now, since this isn't, at the end of the day, my money, I'm actually going to give it to Jorge. Now... Only if you commit to asking three questions. They're not weird questions, they're good questions, but I'm going to ask you to commit to asking these three questions. He says, sure. He's very nervous. These are the three questions. Number one, as we think about our perspective, who am I and what is my role? So this is for you, not, you're not asking, answering Mike. So who am I and what is my role? Why did God give me this money? Now, I, real quick, I'm not God. But do you see how th God has given it to him through me, right? Did you guys see the whole skills, gifts, talents, and resources, all that business? Yeah. Number three, how should I invest this money? And I'm going to ask that you would ask these questions before you execute or deploy that money and put it into action, okay? Good? Go back to your seat. Ladies and gentlemen. Now, I'm going to ask each of you to do the same thing. In fact, I want to throw down the gauntlet. 
Because money, conversation about money makes us so nervous. We're so about it. And I'm going to ask you to spend time this week. Now, like, honest to God, I'm, I'm, I'm asking you, for those of you uh, that I'm able to serve as pastor, I'm asking you this week to carve out time and look at your assets. And I don't care how many zeros are at the end because the responsibility is the same whether it's $50 or $50 million. My relationship to money doesn't change based on how many zeros are at the end of my bank account. Because my dignity, worth, and value is not related to the amount of zeros at the end of my bank account. I'm just a steward whether it's 50 or 50 million. And I'm going to ask you to look at your assets, the things that God has gifted to you, and I'm going to ask you to ask these three questions. Who am I and what is my role? Why did God give me this money? And how should I invest this money? Who am I? Not me, you. Who are you, right? Who am I and what is your role? Why did God give me this money, and how should I invest this money? Recognizing that I am not primarily a consumer, but I am primarily a what? Steward. And a steward cares for and deploys the assets or the the stuff of someone else according to the values and desires of the owner. So you pull out old Ulysses, or the 50 millions of Ulysses that you've got, doesn't matter to me. And here's what I hope for you. My prayer for you is that you will, in asking these questions, find joy and peace. I am so concerned that as a culture, as a people, as even as a church family, that we are so tempted, myself included, to buy into the self-as-consumer lie that I see so many of us on that treadmill killing ourselves to try to earn our dignity. I do not want that for you. Moreover, I know that you will grow in your relationship with Jesus as you seek to live generously as a steward, not selfishly as a consumer. So today and next Sunday, we're gonna continue this conversation. The first question, who am I and what is my role? The Lord God took the man and placed him in the garden. So man would be better translated the human. So humankind placed them in the garden of Eden to what? Work it and watch over. What's a steward do? Watches over and works it, right? So if a carpenter takes the raw elements of wood and creates a table, that's working it and watching over it. If a songwriter takes the raw elements of her voice and her mind and her passions and puts it into music that's taken the raw elements of creation, working it and watching over it. Notice that God did not create the entire universe like Eden. Eden's the prototype. He looks at you and says, go take the raw elements of creation and work it and watch over it. You with me so far? What is the role of people? Stewardship. And so this impacts how we think about the resources that have been directly entrusted to us, the resources that have been entrusted to us as a church family, how we behave as a society. The Lord God took people, placed them in the Garden of Eden to work it and watch over it, and then told them to go out into the rest of the world and make everything else look like the garden. So what is, uh, who am I and what is my role? Oh, real quick, I gotta say this to you. Oh, man. 
This will change your life. You are not defined by the zeros in your bank account. You have absolutely no more dignity, worth, and value based on the material possessions that you have, contrary to what everybody else is telling you. Jesus defines you. Jesus has given his life for you. Jesus tells you that you have everything you could possibly need in him. You have the love, acceptance, and the delight of the king and creator of the universe. Who cares what all the paupers think? And if you have the love, acceptance, and delight of the king and creator of the universe, then we can view ourselves as stewards, not defining ourselves by the stuff we have, recognizing that no matter what we have, you have infinite dignity, worth, and value in God's eyes. And he's your maker. He delights in you. Do you know that? I mean, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to just get right down to it. All the stuff that other people are selling you, telling you it's going to make you happy, nothing will bring you more delight than recognizing that you're completely loved and accepted by the king and creator of the universe. What are you trying to buy? I'm not saying you shouldn't buy a 1979 completely restored, all blacked out Bronco. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that, okay? Some of us might be ready to do that. But what I'm telling you is this. If you're, if you're being sold a dream, you might be being sold your dignity, your worth, and your value. Oh, if you really want to be somebody, then buy this product. Oh, if buying products could make us people of dignity, worth, and value. If only it were so easy. Oh, but it's much easier. We simply recognize that God has made us. And by the way, for those of you who have had a lot and now have a little, cling, the, cling to that. And for those of us who have a little and have had a little, if you've been following Jesus, I already know you know. Like, you, you could even amen some of this stuff if you wanted to, you know what I mean? Who am I? Mm, you are the crowning glory of creation. God delights in you and loves you. And what is your role? Steward. We're going to tease, uh, tease this out a little bit more. In, uh, we'll take a look at the next slide. In 1 Peter 4, 9 through 10, why did God give me this money? So you're looking at the money. Why did God give me this money? Be hospitable to one another without complaining. How many of y'all? have asked somebody over to y'all's house and about mm, 90 minutes before they come over, what you doing? You're frantically cleaning. I know y'all. And you're what? Some of you are like, was he listening? No, I do it all the time. I invite you guys over to my house a lot. 90 minutes before you're over, you're the last person I want to see. I hope you know that. I want to nap. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Just as each one has received a what? Use it to as good of the varied grace of God. A good steward watches over and executes the resources, someone else's resources, according to the desire and will of the owner. And what is the will of God? That we would use our resources to serve others. Serving our families, serving our parents, serving our children, serving our neighbor, serving our church, serving even our enemies. Yeah, that one's a fun one, by the way. 
And then the third question, how should I invest this money? We're gonna have a quick conversation about something that's just overbearing the majority of us. Like, I know where you're at, so let's get into it. There is this huge, huge, huge issue, burden, pain, monster, demon in our culture that causes many of us great despair, frustration, anxiety, and fear. And the name of the monster is debt. Debt. D-E-B-T. I had to look it up because don't, I don't pronounce the B. D-E-T, debt, right? What's wrong with the English language? Debt. According to NerdWallet, which is a service used by Dave Ramsey, the average American household that carries debt has $6,700 in revolving credit card debt. That's the, as I understand it, that's the balance that they're maintaining on their credit card. Out of mortgages, 185, auto loans, 27.6, student loans, 47.6. The reason I bring this up is not to talk to you about the numbers. I don't know how to do math. That's why I'm wearing this tie. I'll try to convince you that I know what I'm talking about. But one of the things we know is we're one of the most indebted cultures. And I know it's killing so many of us. So I want to talk about it just for a little bit. And then next week, we're going to continue in this conversation of how should I invest. Um, and by the way, if, <laughs> if you're thinking about coming to church next week and you heard me just say that and you're like, nah, bro. I just want to tell you, I 100% you'll be offended by what I have to say next week. So come anyways. <laughs> it's going to be super painful. Looking forward to seeing you. All righteous growth involves discomfort. Oh, and here's another thing, too. If you're saying to yourself, well, I wonder if the pastor just wants my money. (laughs) Yep. I want your money so bad. Like, I think my life would be so much easier if you gave me all your money. Because I think of myself almost uh, more frequently than not as a consumer, and I convince myself, I buy into the lies that you're all hearing, that if I just had more stuff, I'd be happier. 1979, completely restored, blacked-out Bronco. And I can't afford it currently, but if you gave me all your money, I could buy happiness. I want your money so bad. That's why I need Jesus to keep working on my heart. What about you? Like maybe part of this process is just an ongoing wrestling match between these two views of consumerism and stewardship. I haven't arrived there completely. By the way, that's why we have a board that makes sure I don't steal money and be greedy and like raise my salary inordinately and stuff like that. They're jerks. <laughs> They're real jerks on the board. Let's take a look at this. When we think about debt, I want you to remember, remember Proverbs 22.7. The rich rule over the... You see this in every society that's ever existed. This is a universal truth. That it is the rich who garner power, and the powerful who garner wealth, and they rule over the whom? The poor. And the borrower is a, to whom? Ooh, that's hot fire. So let's talk about debt for a little bit. Um, I'm not Dave Ramsey. I'm not a financial advisor. I I can't give you any wisdom as to how you should invest or spend or leverage debt in your life. I just want to talk openly as a church family about debt. If you have questions about how you should manage debt or have a conversation in your household about debt, we have coaches here at Desert Springs that would love to have that conversation with you. Trust me, it's not me. Again, tie because I can't do math. 
It's people who know about math, people who know about how to navigate and and have some biblical wisdom in pursuing a debt-free life. We would love to connect you with one of those coaches. Here's your next step on that. In the back of the seat in front of you are those next step cards. Just put on there that you're interested in meeting a coach about finances, and they would love the opportunity to chat with you. We don't charge, I mean, we're not charging anything, we're not making any money. These are just volunteers within the congregation who have been blessed as they've applied biblical wisdom to their uh, finances, they'd love the opportunity to speak with you about that. Um, And trust me, if you ask them to pay off your debt, they're gonna say no, I've asked them four times already. The borrower is a slave to lender. Okay, so there's a few um, reasons that we go into debt. And I wanna wanna thread the needle here, okay? So I need y'all to follow me here. One of the reasons that we go into debt is vanity. Vanity or pride. Keeping up with the Joneses. We see that they have something that we don't, and they're lying to me, telling me that it makes them happy, and I believe them, and so I say to myself, self, you know what you need? The thing, or the service, or the whatever, because then you'll finally be happy. When I believe in that lie, then I say to myself, self, life is short, you're a busy man. You don't need to wait and save for the 1979 completely tricked out restored Bronco. In just 62 easy payments, you too can find happiness. And in my heart, this isn't everybody. I'm just saying, one of the reasons that we go into debt is because we see what someone else has and we covet it. And we believe the lie that it's going to make me happy. And so we swipe the card, we sign the lease, and then by the way, 10 months after that moment, how am I feeling? 10 minutes, how am I feeling? I'm happy as a clam, baby. I got that top down on that Bronco, I'm blasting Metallica, I'm having a great day. 10 months, I'm probably like, you know what probably wasn't wisdom? (laughs) In 10 years when I'm still making payments, I hate that Bronco. This is one of the things that we argue about. And I have the same arguments that you do with your friends, with your family. I want you to count, when you talk about finances and things that you want to purchase, I want you to watch your language and see if you use the word need instead of want. When I say I need a new Bronco, do I? Well, if it's the thing that gives me dignity, worth, and value, yeah, I do kind of need it. One of the second reasons is impatience. I want it now. We live in such an instant society. I want it now. I want it when? I gotta have it now! Six easy installments. And I have that in my home, and we have that as a church. Uh, a couple, few years ago, we, we had a mortgage. We had, I think, like $700,000 on the mortgage. We prayerfully considered and then committed to paying off our mortgage as soon as possible. And because of God's provision and your generosity, we were able to pay that off super early. I think it was like 16 months or something like that. And during that process, we made a commitment to, to remain debt-free, that we would not, as a church family, 42 years old now, We didn't think that it would be wise for us to take on new mortgage debt. So we wrote it into the bylaws and we're committed to that. It was a great idea at the time. (laughs) 
But, you know, one of the things that we're talking about right now is the desperate need we have to put an elevator on our two-story building so kids who can't climb the stairs can get up to their classrooms. We're talking about building over 100 homes in and around the Palomino area over the next five years. We're talking about scholarshiping and raising up over 100 leaders in the next five years from our community. We're talking about building a uh, four to 5,000 square foot multi-purpose center on the side of this room because we're packed out on Sunday mornings and during the week. We had to tell hundreds of kids, no, you can't come to Splash Camp this year because we didn't have enough space for them. And we're having that conversation and, and we draw the little drawings. We have all the little brainstorming sessions and then some jerk says, how we gon' pay for it? And I go online and look up mortgage rates. And then I remember, wait a minute, we committed to doing this debt-free. What were we thinking? Because I want it when. I want that stuff when. When do I want it? I can go get a mortgage. I can go take on more debt. I'm going to, now I can't because the board is there to stop me. But do you see? Even as a church family, we find this tension of, well, here's a great thing we could invest in. That elevator's a great thing to invest in. But we're going to have to raise the cash for it. We're going to have to be patient, and we're going to have to show our reliance on the Lord through our patience. There's a third reason that we go into debt. Poverty. Poverty of financial poverty, educational poverty, relational poverty. I've met many college graduates from our neighborhoods who don't understand the cost, risk of debt. And you know when you turn 18, you know what you get in the mail? Your dignity, worth, and value on offer. Just takes one little click. Moreover, I know that there are many of us in our church family who do not know how to make ends meet. And I certainly don't mean to imply that the debt that you've incurred or continue to use is somehow out of vanity or impatience. I know that there are many in our city, in our church family, who are in debt because of poverty or injustice. The injustice of disease and the medical bills piling up. I know there are many of us who then, it's... (laughs) It's a conversation between do I eat or get my diabetes medication. That's not vanity. But if I can, just as your pastor, but it's despair, right? I say this with all empathy and compassion. This is pain. There's something wrong when we have to make those decisions. And so we can find ourselves in debt. The other thing, too, that just drives me absolutely crazy that I'm personally actively fighting against is predatory loans picking on people who are down and out and charging them just extreme amounts of interest to maintain a cyclical pattern of debt. And I'm going to, I'm going to, man, I'm going to lay this down. You can get your emails ready. There are many of us in comfortable positions who were born into social networks and resources that have never had to worry about how we're going to make ends meet, that sit in judgment on those taking predatory loans saying, well, if they would just wise up, but you were born into a social network. You were born into a community that had educational opportunities for you to learn why that's destructive. You know that many in our city are not. You know that? Debt is eating us alive. 
But there is wise debt, and I I certainly don't want to, and we're going to talk about this a little more next week, I I certainly don't mean to say that all debt is wrong. My wife and I took out a mortgage so we can afford our home. We are not, we're not in a position to pay cash for our home, for our first home, and we were able to have children, and we're able to raise those children in that, and and we got counsel from other people, and I just want to be upfront with you. I, I know that there are Many of us who it's wise. Others, business investors, you've, you've made an investment, and that's wise. There are wise uses of debt. And you actually find them in the scriptures. The scripture's not all bad on debt. But it's like dynamite. Y'all ever played with dynamite before? It's tons of fun, right? I played with dynamite five times. Is dynamite good or bad? Somebody said it. Depends on how you what? It depends on how you use it. It can be one of the most destructive forces. And it can also help us make railways. Right? It's all in how you use it. Debt is like dynamite. Just be careful and be wise. So I'd like for you this week to consider these three questions. I'm going to put them up here on the screen. Who am I and what is my role? Why did God give me this money? And how should I invest this money? Now, we want to help you. At Desert Springs, we're all about helping folks take their next step as disciples of Jesus. In fact, you'll see this graphic everywhere. You'll even see it on the Next Steps card in the back of the seat in front of you. I'm going to give you two next steps. Number one, if you are not currently studying the Bible with a group of other people who want to study the Bible as disciples of Jesus, I want to encourage you to join me here. Pastor Matt and I have a group that meets on Thursday nights, 6.30. It's called Summer Sessions. Super laid back, even if you can only come to one or two at a time. They're built for that because we all know our summer schedules are crazy. But one of the best ways to learn about your role as a steward is to watch how Jesus stewards his resources and power. And we're currently studying through all these scandals in the life of Jesus. I'd love to have you join us. It's this Thursday, 6.30 p.m. in the lobby. If you've never studied the Bible before, this is a great first time. If you've been studying the Bible your whole life, we'd love to have you join us. I know wherever you're at, you'll be blessed. And the second thing is this. I'm going to host a live Q&A on Facebook. Whether you have a Facebook account or not, you're still invited to participate. And I'm going to do a little Q&A, talking about where we're at as a church, talking about the resources, finances, talking about the vision, some of which I just mentioned. Also answer any questions that you might have, or answer, I should say this, or deflect, if they're really hard questions, uh, any questions that you might have about finances and generosity. I'd love to share with you what I've been learning, what Jesus has been teaching me. Uh, And then finally, uh, I've created, uh, wrote kind of a long letter or blog post that we're going to share with the church family with some of these thoughts, as well as some next steps for you. We want to put this into practice, and I've got a lot of recommended next steps that we've collected from the church family and some of our coaches. So whether you're striving to get out of debt or you're in a season of surplus right now and you want to have a conversation about how to uh, invest and steward your wealth for the kingdom of God, I'm going to have all those resources available to you. And so uh, I'm going to be sending that out, and I need you to just kind of watch this for a second. If you normally receive email updates from me, you're going to get it. If you do not, that means probably like you're not on the list or I'm going to your spam box, which I get it. I would spam me too. But if you'd like to receive it and you don't usually get updates from us like every other week, uh, use that connection card, that next steps card on the back of the seat in front of you. Write your email address on there and let us know kind of in the comments section or the notes section that you're interested in receiving that, that email uh, with the link to uh, either the video uh, Q&A on Tuesday or uh, those resources that, uh, that we're making available uh, today. I'd love to have you guys participate in this. And here's the deal. At the end of the day, I don't care 
where you choose to live generously. Whether that's at Desert Springs or another organization, at the end of the day, I don't care. What I want for you, my prayer for you is this, is that you would find peace, delight, and freedom in a Christ-centered view of the resources that God's given to you. I believe that you will find more joy and more delight as you pursue Jesus, specifically as it comes to your finances, as we live as his disciples. That's what I want for you. I hope that that's been clear today. I know Jesus loves you guys so much. Let me pray for us. Lord, we, oh man, you know, um, it just seems like money is a God in this city. And I know that my temptation is constantly to turn to money for my dignity and my worth and my value. I think I'm gonna be happy with the more stuff I have. Lord, that's just frequent for me. And so I need, Jesus, your strength to cling to you, to recognize that you are my creator, that you are my source of joy. You are the source of my dignity and my worth, that you delight in me, and that you entrust to me resources to steward well, to bless and to serve others. And Lord, I pray that you would give each one of us the wisdom to do that, knowing full well that you love us so much, regardless of the zeros at the end of our bank account. So Lord, make us a generous church. We pray this, knowing that you love us and you are powerful to bring it about. Amen.